Hey, welcome to ConsciousFounders.org, virtual reality and real healing. Today I interviewed Chris Smith of Juno VR. Chris and I talked about so many things, the emergence of virtual reality and healthcare, what it means to be an entrepreneur, and what motivates someone like Chris to come from a software and sensors background, coming out with this incredible application. His software has been deployed at the Children's Hospital in Stanford and has had just huge successes there reducing pain and anxiety in children. In this episode, you'll get to hear some fun sound bites from Chris and then the full dialogue. I really enjoyed our conversation and I hope you do as well. Take care and as always, check us out, ConsciousFounders.org. Like how do you how do you distill down the essence of what works in VR for relaxing someone or helping them face certain types of struggles into a product? Like where is the product idea within this space? Um, we're about to start selling that. It's a game experience for use in hospitals for anxiety and pain relief. Mm-hmm. And then there's also tons of like good clinical research on like how long, slow, rhythmic breathing um, gives basically can switch the body into a rest and relax state or out of a sympathetic response into a parasympathetic Mm. response. I think the other component of it was realizing that when you put on the VR headset, you're sort of beamed into a different world and that that knowing that this is a really powerful teaching and and, um, mechanism for helping people see the world differently. Really, I think software is this really magical thing. I think I've always been fascinated by software, like since I was kid. And the core from it came like from taking the sensors background and saying how do you get someone to really tune into their breath because the breath mm-hmm. is the sort of window to so many profound experiences. And it's like one of the only things that we have access to that's both subconscious and conscious. Absolutely. And so it's a natural doorway into the subconscious which then allows for a natural connection to all the other uh, unseen and unfelt mm-hmm. shadow parts of ourselves that that Absolutely. You know, ultimately need to be seen and felt to really full, feel the fullest experience of human, human life. It was just so fascinating to come out here and feel all this sort of entrepreneurial energy. Was oh, like, yeah. But I also kind of got like lost in it and this feeling of like, oh, I need to be able to make, I need to be making like a, a billion dollar business. I need to be doing something that's going like, to allow me to sort of create something really massive. I mean, but then, you know, you come back to ground and center and you're like, wait a second, what it, what's driving these desires and this push to, like, to, to contort the business idea into something that'll, why am I optimizing for some future moment where I expect I'll have a big thing or something mm-hmm. that, like, is more attractive to others? I think in some ways I just felt like I needed to make a decision in any direction and it was like, and, I, and at that time, I like went to Columbia, and I was like, I'm just going to journal every day and sit and meditate and think about there are a few directions. Yeah, the big thing that someone, a teacher told me recently is like, there's no perfection here. Like, perfection is not here, you know? It's like, it's an idea. How is it that I'm living? How am I expressing myself? How am I going through the world? What does that feel like? And then it turns you to the present moment, you know? And then you're like, oh, wow, it's actually it's just beautiful. Wow, I think this is what I've been like looking for my whole life. Everyone has different perspective, different tastes. There's like, the more I dig into it, the more I realize there's like, wow, there's like 
meditation just keeps getting broader and broader. It's infinite, you know? yeah. Like, it really is infinite. For some people it's dance, for some people it's running, for some people it's, you know, singing. Mm-hmm. And everyone that has, like, different takes on, like, a different mix of, like, embodiment practices or, like, energetic stuff or, like, visualization. Keeps getting broader and broader, and then eventually, yeah. I think, includes all of the entire human experience. I like um, I like looking at it from a brain a brainwave state perspective. Um, it's a very because it's very quantifiable, and I come from a science background. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like just it's hardwired into me. I'm unwiring it, so. Yeah. <laughs> me too. Um, but you know, like. It's common, it's kind of like a common language that we can bridge the gap between the spiritual realm and the um, scientific, very materialistic realm. I think of like measuring brainwave states of alpha, yeah. theta, etc. into um, as different realms of consciousness accessing, mm-hmm. even if they're just an indicator, you know, still an indicator. So you know, there's something, something to point at objectively. Mm-hmm. Let's. Lo- I'd love to learn about. I mean, we talked on the phone. I want to talk about your vision. Like, maybe if you can just recap for me and for our audience. Yeah. Uh, how you came to where you are now, from being in technology and finding yourself more in technology for a cause. Yeah. Um. Don't look at the microphone, it's not, not there. I <laughs> <laughs> uh, started, I think, when I was like, when I was a kid, I grew up in the southeast in Tennessee, mm-hmm. and uh, grew up in a Methodist, sort of religious family, traditional, like, typical conservative, sort of southeastern perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, Were you, like, wearing a tie and nah, to not, church and everything? Or the, the sort of Methodism was a little more, cons- like, a little open, more, it was more liberal on the sort of Christian <laughs> front. Okay. Um, yeah, I grew up going to church every weekend, um, doing things in the youth group. And at a certain point, I like got to a point where I was just like, this feels too oppressive. It's like mm. too many rules. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I felt like I felt like there were a lot of people that were sort of putting on a face for like Sunday and then not living in a way that was like really wholesome. Mm. Um, it there just felt, it felt kind of fake to me. Some contradiction and. Mm-hmm. And what you were being told and what you saw. Yeah. No. Mm. So I pretty deeply rebelled from that after, like, in high school. Went through the college, like, party phase, like, just did a lot of just exploring and... What does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> like, what realms of exploring? I mean, just, like, partying and... Yeah, um, I got you. Started reading more about, like, other types of religion, like Buddhism, Hinduism, mm-hmm. um... Sort of like had a had a TA in one of my material science classes who was like a Hindu guy from mm. India and wow he like I had just read um, the Power of Now oh yeah in college great like, one and uh, I was really sort of connecting with this sort of more pure aspects of like practices that were mm. very human to me and didn't seem very um, they seemed to connect a lot of the dots around religion but they were just things you do like you just sit and focus mm. on the present moment or your breath. Mm-hmm. Um, they weren't rooted in like a dogma or religious yeah. architecture yeah oh. and uh, and so I think I got into a discussion with this TA 
asked about that, and he was like, oh, I meditate every weekend, you should come meditate with me, and he had like, yeah. awesome. I was like, alright, this is, like, and he's very traditional, like, Hindu, mm -hmm. like, uh, didn't have any chairs in his house, um, I like, so I went over one weekend, and we had like a three-hour, like, meditation, where I just, like, he was sort of my pseudo-guru that day, and like, awesome. um, we just, like, sat, and, uh, I fell asleep during it. It was like it was like my first real meditation experience. Um, and around that same time, really a, a couple of years before that, I had um, it was right around like 1990, 2000, 2000 I guess. Um, and we got to college, and all of the like Napster and file sharing, peer to peer. I mean, it was basically the entire internet worth of products was just free and available. And uh, mm -hmm. So, like, the friends in the dorm, it was just like, oh, let's just find everything possible and download it. And one of the things we found was uh, Hemisync, binaural, binaural Beats Meditation. Oh, yeah. You heard of it? Oh, yeah. Uh, I'm a big fan of Binaural Beats. And um, one night, we were like, oh, let's all just, like, lay down on the floor and, like, listen to this Binaural Beats track. It's, like, an hour long. Awesome. And, um, wow. And so like, there was four or five of us in this room, just like we all downloaded it, played it, put it on our, our laptops, I guess, and mm. then we're laying there, and at, like, mm. at one point in the middle of the night, well, not in the middle of the night, I guess in the middle of the, the playing, shut the door here, um, I had this experience that was just kind of like a, it was like a, kind of like my sense of self kind of like expanded and contracted mm. in the moment. Mm. And I was just like, whoa, what? And it was like, I've never been open to anything like that. <clears throat> Not doing any drugs, you're just listening to yeah. the yeah. beats. And, uh, and I was like, wow, there's something something interesting is happening here. And uh -huh. I, I almost couldn't tell if it was like, did my download mess up? And like, there's something wrong with the like file that I have? Um, mm. But in retrospect, I realized there was some, some sort of energetic or conscious shift that was happening there that I... I can I'm familiar with now. Um, so I think those two experiences, meditating with that guy and having that binaural beats experience, kind of like started to really like touch this deep place. Um, but then I also felt this deep sense of like I need to go out and like make a lot of money and like do the traditional thing, and and so there was this like part of me that was kind of opening up to that, but then I kind of. I left college and went and got a good job in Austin, Texas um, at this tech startup, or I guess it was a big company at that point, mm -hmm. it's called National Instruments. Mm -hmm. And they do um, software and hardware for collecting data from sensors and automating processes. Mm -hmm. So like, I uh, went into this program with like 200 people, like all like, fresh out of school, and they just like train you how to like use all this equipment to like collect data to like automate processes to like do robotics and wow and it was just an amazing place it was just like a playground for like people that are into tech and like mm -hmm. sensors and so we're on this floor and there's just like robots rolling around and people are like you know shooting basketballs in the hoops and like using like image recognition stuff to like you know automatically fire basketballs in similar trajectories and um <laughs> that sounds amazing and yeah it sounds like the crazy fun like first job right that was your first job yeah my first wow. job wow wow so <laughs> it really like opened up this like place of um 
really, I think software is this sort of really magical thing. I think I've always been fascinated by software, like since I was like a kid, like sixth grade. Like my mom was an accountant and had a computer, and and she would like let me play on it, and I just start mm -hmm. dabbling around, and just stuff would happen, you know. And, um, and what was really cool about this experience was like this was like software connected to sensors was like connecting like this magic to like the real world you know it's like you know, like robotic arms mm. and like things that are measuring temperature and voltages and speeds and like cameras that were like looking at your face and knowing where your head was and being able to put things on it or like interact with you um, I really like what you just said there it's like connecting <clears throat> this magic to the real world because that feels like a theme that's like emerging with with the integration of hardware software and this the biofeedback and or sensorial inputs that we can now like now we can have not only take the magic put it in the environment but have the environment and put it back into the magic and yeah and it all sort of weaves together mm -hmm. which is kind of what the human experience is <laughs> anyway it's all internal external and Yeah. So I got there, really like, stoked this deep passion, like was seeing this amazing ability to connect computers to the, to the physical world. Mm -hmm. um, and a friend of mine at the time uh, was looking to start a business uh, online. This is like 2010, I guess. Um, I was moving out to San Francisco. And I was like, wow, that sounds fascinating, but like, no, I need to. I need to get back to like the southeast where my sort of family and friends were, and so I like mm -hmm. sort of went on this trajectory of becoming more of like a a field engineer. It's basically like working across the business teams and the customers in the region to help them like implement these sensors mm -hmm. in their processes. So it's like gas turbines and wind turbines and um, tire testing systems and BMW. Like all these this really cool, amazing stuff. Um, and I had. I'm kind of giving you a long-winded story here. I like it. Um, around that time, when I moved to Austin right after school, I like had been reading a lot about real estate, and so I bought a house in Austin, mm. uh, a duplex, and lived in one side and rented it out, and it was like a good investment, and that worked well. And so when I, I moved to, I got this job out in the field, and I bought another house in South Carolina using just the mortgage credits, and it just worked out really well. But then about two years into that, I was just like, well, I'm making good money and kind of on my own out here in the Southeast. Mm -hmm. And I was like, what am I doing with my life though? It's like, I, these two houses, I could probably like, if I pay them off, then I'll have my retirement covered and I don't really have to worry about anything. Mm -hmm. um, but within that, it was just this sense of like, what am I, like, where am I going? And like, wh why am I doing the thing I'm doing? Mm -hmm. um, and that led to the sort of beginning of a lot of like soul searching. Mm -hmm. um, I'd start like little like business ideas like on the side and be like, oh, maybe this is the thing, and maybe this is the thing. And be like, a boat for this, a, list, a website for listing like sailboats, for instance. Like I was big into sailing. Or, um... So you were thinking still along the lines of like, oh, let's do something on my own in tech that makes money and kind of pursues a passion. And then there was at some point a pivot where you were like, hey, I don't need to necessarily just focus on making money and passion. Maybe I can focus it more on like a deeper 
purpose that helps others or something. I mean, I'm, I'm yeah. kind of filling in some blanks there, but... Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I kept trying to start little things and never felt like I could get, like, the like get the wheel turning. Mm -hmm. It was like there wasn't enough alignment in my system or in the world or something. Mm -hmm. And then, um, so I quit that job and I was just like, well, I don't know what it is next, but I'm going to sort of go into this. Well, it takes a lot of courage. And it was tough. A lot of courage. Congratulations. Um, Thanks. Really? <laughs> uh, so then I like ended up traveling for a while and doing working on some applications related to sailboat automating sensors on sailboats for sailboat racing. That didn't didn't really connect deeply. It was fun, but like it was like I don't really want to spend my life like working in the sailing industry. Mm -hmm. um, so that eventually led to like coming out to San Francisco, and then. Um, it was just so fascinating to come out here and feel all this sort of entrepreneurial energy. You know, oh, so, yeah. But I also kind of got like lost in it and this feeling of like, oh, I need to be able to make, I need to be making like a, a billion dollar business. I need to be doing something that's going to like, allow me to sort of create something really massive. <laughs> um, and so I felt a lot of tension around that. I ended up working on a startup. Eventually, um, about three years ago, I went to still doing yoga and a little bit of meditation at this point mm -hmm. um, but not not in a way that was like real consistent daily practice mm -hmm. went to Burning Man and had this this um, really deep experience where like I I was um, in that moment I'm still sort of seeking doing this soul searching along this these few years um, and that night I just decided I'm like I'm really gonna. I've been thinking for a few months and journaling about the meaning of life. Like, what is the meaning of life for me? What is the meaning of life for all people? Is a lot of the thinking. <laughs> and went out that night and I was just like, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go like talk to people. I don't know what it is. I'm just gonna go see if I can like dig into this in a way nice. that's really like facing it head on. And um, that night I uh, I like. The, the magical thing about Burning Man is that they call it, you know, it's serendipity, it's just everywhere there. And, like, right after I left that night to go go around, I like, bumped into this woman who had set up, like, a bathtub, which called it, like, a bathtub of healing renewal. Hmm. And there was no, no water in it, it was just, like, a symbolic thing. You get in and you read this little placard that's, like, you know, I give myself permission to feel whatever I need to feel, hmm. to, like, let the universe unfold, to, like, to, like, just to open up to, like, whatever's there. Love that. And then within maybe 30 seconds, I was like bawling my eyes out. I was like crying like I'd never cried before. In my Amazing. Life. And uh, the fly provides. The fly provides. <laughs> and yeah, I realized that I was holding on to all this grief around my like my dad passed away about five years mm -hmm. ago, and and I thought I had like sort of connected with it. I didn't. Realized, I realized at that moment that I like didn't have a clue how to actually like process these mm -hmm. emotions. Mm -hmm. um, and so this just like wailing, crying, and like, and the beautiful other beautiful thing about Burning Man is all these people were just like there to support. They were like, oh, mm -hmm. what's going? I have to go and like, um, mm -hmm. I like connected and bonded, mm -hmm. and like people were just providing their presence and awareness and uh, support and. Spent the entire night out just chatting with people, um, like connecting with like what gave other people energy, what gave them meaning, like what, why they chose to do the things they did. 
And, um, and then the next morning, it was just like the entire world was just glowing. It was just like, and it was so pure and truthful. It was like, just a smile. It was like, I was smiling. People around me were smiling. It was just like this, like, everything is pristine and beautiful the way it is. Uh, yeah. That reminds me of an insight I had in meditation, which is when I find the beauty within everything is beautiful without like everything around me is beautiful and it seems to be that way not that it's an easy thing to do all the time <laughs> oftentimes it's kind of one of the bigger challenges we have yeah. is to see how beautiful we are inside and like what kind of creative gifts we have to give and yeah and a lot of times it's like you just get out of the way and then the world becomes more beautiful you know it's just like it's like uh -huh. realizing that I was the one building the walls that was keeping the beauty out, you know. So like, well said, yeah. It's like, ugh. <laughs> it's like kind of, you know, it's the whole cosmic joke thing, too. It's just like, wow, I was holding on to this, and it was keeping me from really, like, connecting with others and connecting with the world. And, like, mm -hmm. Well, it sounds like a really beautiful experience, and, and that launched you into this. Yeah, so basically, like, the next day, I felt like, so deeply connected and so in touch with myself and others and it was just like wow I think this is what I've been like looking for my whole life awesome uh, and that really like sort of set me on this direction and so the next month I like put in my notice and quit the job and sold my house in Austin and just said I'm gonna like dedicate the like money from this house towards building things in this direction and also like learning and growing. Beautiful. Uh, Beautiful. Yeah, so then, so yeah. That's, how that's long, how long ago was that? That was about a year. A year at Burning so Man? Two, three burns ago. Um, so yeah, September 2015. Mm -hmm. Left the job in December when went to Columbia and had like a retreat of just like writing, journaling in January, and then sort of started working on more like tech projects in like February, March, Tampa. Cool. Yeah. And so how did you come up with this as a, a means of pursuing your life purpose? Because it sounds like you're really aligned with life purpose, and it sounds like you're on that path now from a <coughs> creative cultural contribution perspective. Mm -hmm. So how would you say that you kind of found your way to, oh, I'm going to build a virtual reality, you know, meditation app, mm -hmm. pain reduction app. I think in some ways I just felt like I needed to make a decision in any direction, and it was like, and, I, and at that time I like went to Columbia, and I was like, I'm just going to journal every day, and sit and meditate and think about a few directions. So it was one was around education, one was around um, robotics, and one was around meditation and sort of well-being. <clears throat> and during that week, or two, three weeks, two and a half weeks, I was meditating every day and just trying to really connect with like what was most compelling. And the last day of the, that um, period, I did a 60-minute meta-loving-kindness guided meditation mm -hmm. on uh, Insight Timer. Mm -hmm. Amazing app, if anyone's listening. Mm -hmm. um, and it was right before my plane flight, like the night, the morning of, and, and you know, if, have you ever done the meta 
Oh yeah. So you know, you just expand this sort of feeling sure. of like love and well-being that just expands and expands and expands. You want to explain what it is to our, our listeners? Yeah. So meta loving kindness is like a, it's a sort of a visualization, compassion meditation where you connect with the, the feeling of connection and love, and you sort of imagine someone that you're close with smiling, being peaceful, being free from suffering. Mm-hmm. And through connecting to the intent of them smiling and you smiling and sharing that sense of connection and joy, mm. that it sort of builds this sort of flywheel effect where just you really connect with the feeling of connection itself. Uh, and then you do this visualization where you expand that to sending it out from yourself to all beings. Mm. That's a great explanation. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Um, at the end of that meditation, I like had this... It's just like deeply connected back in a similar place from the prior few months of like deep sense of connection and presence and like things are okay in the world and and in that moment was like all right I think meditation is the direction I need to go in and like VR is this compelling interesting thing mm. um, and so I'll just see if those two can be combined uh, I think the other component of it was realizing that when you put on the VR headset, you're sort of beamed into a different world, and that, that kind of, like, knowing that this is a really powerful teaching and, and um, mechanism for helping people see things, the world differently, um, which was happening for me. I was starting to see the world differently, and I was like, I think these two should be combined. Just through your own visualization experiences? Through, yeah, through the visualization experiences and through the, sort of like, the sinking in of the, like, the practice. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, uh, I'm curious, I've asked a few other people, did you build this in part because you wanted to deepen your own practice and like expand your own um, depth of connection and efficiency in a way of getting there? I find it, I find it interesting to, to ask that question. Um, yeah. I mean, that's partly what, why I'm here is because I find this stuff fascinating and if I can find ways to drop into meditation more efficiently personally then that makes me feel better um, and then if I can share those insights with others that makes me feel good Yeah. and um, that everything's okay in the world as you said <laughs> yeah. I think I um, I think I needed a reason to focus on personal growth mm. and so I kind of needed the business to be this excuse to give me the permission mm. to mm-hmm. like so I was like I really need and want to like grow more and like go in and feel the depths of this you know this internal dilemmas and struggles and things that I had mm. been sort of suppressing um, at the same time I had this sort of desire to like have a successful business and be uh, accepted in society and like mm-hmm. um, and also be contributing. And so it's sort of like, well, if the business is around meditation and growth, and like now I have an excuse to really go deeply into it and grow more and like go to retreats and all sorts of workshops and connect with people. And um, so, in a way, like, and having, having the money from the selling of the house was, you know, this freedom was like, I yeah. don't need to like rush into like startup mode. I can sort of explore and sort of feel it out and pursue my own growth at the same time and sort of figure out what are the insights that can lead to like a, a product that can then, like how do, you, how do you distill down the essence of what works in VR for relaxing someone or helping them face certain types of struggles, 
into a product. Like, where is the product idea within this space? Um, so that was that was the exploration. Uh, I heard so many good things in there where you just said one of them was like, how can I integrate my business with effectively my spiritual path? Um, I'm translating what you said. Mm -hmm. um, you're like, how can I how can I have business be a tool for spiritual growth and empowerment and it's funny because I used to think in such uh, binary terms such like absolute things like you're either in business or you're spiritual or you're mm -hmm. and now I'm realizing that from my, my my perspective is shifting to a place where I'm like well why can't it be all like why can't all be true yeah. and now I get to blend any color I want with any other color yeah. on the palette of life. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's like it's all okay if you're doing it from the right place. Mm. You know, for me, it was like, why do I want to have a big business? And I was like, oh, I need lots of money so I'll feel safe. Right. Like, why do I need to feel safe? I was like, oh, because there's like, the world's not safe. I was like, what's, the, what's not safe about the world? You know, it's like, and then it goes, you know, starts to go inward and it's like, mm. That, that was like the dance all of last year was like this, like, oh, but it needs to be bigger or better. It needs to be mm. able to grow faster. Mm. And then it would be like, and then I'd sort of trip over myself and be like, what am I doing? Because I'd be sitting, meditating for like two hours a day for a big portion of it. Mm -hmm. um, Me too. <laughs> I, do, I do an hour and a half every morning. Nice. Yeah. I'm, I'm not in a good routine at the moment. Hour of movement, yeah. I mean, but then you know, you come back to ground and center, and you're like, wait a second, what? It, what's driving these desires and this push to like, mm. to to contort the business idea into something that'll? Why am I optimizing for some future moment where I expect I'll have a big thing or something mm. that like is more attractive to others? And like, just kept pointing back in and in mm. and in. Um, there are two nuggets from that that I, I my own insights, if I can share them, like. Yeah. One is that all uncomfortable feelings, I call them uncomfortable feelings, not so I don't disown them, but um, are fear-based. Mm -hmm. Everything is just, it's fear. So fear is kind of like, from my perspective, this fundamental vibration, mm -hmm. which when we tune ourselves to become more aware of it, we can start to catch it and be like, oh, there's fear. And then if we can program it through things like your tool uh, to like, to un do that and shift it to be like actually I'm gonna choose this other vibration yeah um, so we end up opening choice so yeah. fear is the thing that causes a lot of people discomfort and then choice and the practicing of choice is the one of the tools to help undo that yeah uh, and the other one is the societal programming and I find this one to be a really interesting um, I, I came from a world of, of advertising uh, and marketing, and I still love advertising and marketing. I find it fascinating how the psychology works. Um, the repetition is, is definitely a big component. Mm -hmm. Impact and, um, and interaction. Mm -hmm. Those are the, kind of the, the three primary things that advertising has to do. Um, of course, messaging, relevancy. So, so with those things, I'm like, oh, it's the same program for the subconscious mind. Mm -hmm. um, and our, our advertisers know it, that's why they're successful. Yeah, right. um, our culture does it too, and our culture does it through different institutions. Mm -hmm. um, and it's not like it's malicious in any way, um, it's just, it is. And yeah. so I find that when I'm evaluating what my purpose is, 
um, I go again, I go compare like, oh, why, same thing, why would I want a billion dollar business? I'm, I'm financially well off, I don't need to be working right now, so what's, like, is that programming still relevant, mm -hmm. you know, is that still something that matches the who I want to be? And where did it come from? Is yeah. an interesting question. It's not, from my experience, it's just interesting. It's not necessarily effective to ask all the time. Yeah. But it is interesting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think it's easy to get sucked into a kind of analysis hole and yes. And realize like what this has been a big part of my path is like be like, look, we're here like as a human, you know, like yeah. uh, within the, the social context of humanity that we absorb through our birth and onwards, you know, mm -hmm. and so we're, we're a small chunk of a human consciousness. Organism. You know, the big, you know, <laughs> super organism. And it's like, there's, yeah, the big thing that someone, a teacher told me recently, is like, there's no perfection here. <laughs> like, perfection is not here, you know, it's like, it's an idea. Uh, and, um, yeah, if things were perfect, then we wouldn't have anything to work on. Yeah, right. And, and that's that, our, well, that how would we boring. creatively express ourselves? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Where's uh, all the fuel for our creativity? So, yeah, it really resonates with what you're, what you're saying. And uh, I like to think of, we were talking about the analysis, um, and, and it can become an analysis paralysis, which is why um, I agree with you entirely. Uh, gang Katie Hendricks talked about asking, um, if you haven't followed them at all, they're interesting, really great um, couple. They do a lot of work around, they're kind of one of the preeminent um, scholars and thinkers in relationships and love. And anyway, they talk about shifting from the why to the how. Mm, yeah. And they were saying, well, with analysis, couple things. One, you ask why you can get into analysis paralysis. Mm -hmm. If you think about how, you end up opening into the field of possibilities. And not only that, but the why is region, the region that of your brain that occupies why is the size of a quarter. Mm. The region of the how is the size of like a baseball or bigger, wow. you know? So like, like that. so it's like you're just accessing so much more of the mind mm -hmm. of this like beautiful prefrontal cortex we were given mm -hmm. to, to play with possibility. Yeah, I love that. I think there was, um, well, another teacher from a meditation retreat I went on talked about how the Buddha talked about the imponderable questions mm. but one of them was like the sort of deep why of like why, <laughs> why do we exist why, why ask the question why? Like, <laughs> or better yet how can we ask different questions yeah it's just like, <laughs> uh, like how, what's it like to be you right now is like a better thing like wow how is it how is it that I'm living how am I expressing myself mm. how am I going through the world what does that feel like mm. and then it turns you to the present moment you know and then you're like oh wow it's actually just beautiful. Absolutely. Um, Speaking of the how, I want to touch on how are you marketing your stuff and like getting your creative expression out there in the world and um, mm -hmm. really not doing a whole lot to marketing market it right now. Um, this year has been a lot of like going deep and like mm. getting into really profound as I, as I put my focus on the business and then I, I still often come back to like wow there's more stuff that's like ready to be like looked at internally um, and so 
basically we've just been like posting on the blog. I've been working with a good friend, Eric, a lot of last year, and we still sort of collaborate. Um, Stanford just published an article about a project we did with them at the Lucille Packard Children's Hospital. Mm -hmm. Congratulations. Thank you. Uh, it's, a, it's, it's a big win. Yeah, it's awesome. It's really awesome to have their... Yeah, I mean, that, their and that brand and the like yeah. recognition, that's huge. Yeah. And so there's a lot of like potential to market at this point. It's mm -hmm. really starting to feel like, like I'm getting into a place where it's like, all right, it's time to like be more external oriented and less mm -hmm. internal mm -hmm. oriented. Um, and so they publish some stuff, like, you know, every now and then I'll tweet or Facebook something, but uh, nice. we're about to start selling that. It's a game experience for use in hospitals for anxiety and pain relief. Mm. Um, they're running a clinical trial right now. We're starting to work with a, a doctor at an ear, ear, nose, and throat clinic up in New York. Cool. He's, gonna, he's running a trial and using this for, for patients who are getting like nose scopes. Mm -hmm. And it's like, no one wants to sit there and have like a camera jammed up your nose. For okay. sure. Well, um, just thinking about it, it's a headache. <laughs> yeah, right? So there's like, there's lots of been like interesting learnings. Um, and it's getting to the point of like needing to like get them, get these learnings into a package and, mm. and out to more people. Um, so like a clinical, there, there's been like a clinical study about... Yeah, about, the Stanford about VR papers. use in the operating room with kids and how it can reduce anxiety. Amazing. Yeah, which is really amazing. amazing. Um, that's so actually, that's really groundbreaking, especially using the, um, the demographic of children. I mean, I know the VA has done a lot with PTSD and mm -hmm. adults, but uh, I mean, how wonderful to like help children from building like traumatic events at a younger age and then so they don't have to deal with yeah right all of that programming later on in their lives <laughs> like yeah, wow just nip this like yeah. trauma in the bud totally keep it from getting like locked into the system amazing um that's really cool yeah it's amazing it feels really good and to mm. see the videos of like kids like they have this one video of a kid who got hit by a car and like he had like crazy bandage changes every day and he's just like in the headset just like looking off into space and just laughing and like shouting and the people are like gingerly changing his bandage while he's doing that and it's just like wow this is that's the power of consciousness and the power when technology and the two converge totally. you know it's like oh it gets me so excited yeah, right? <laughs> seriously fired up about this yeah so that's those are huge accomplishments cool. you know man congratulations yeah. thanks um then the other piece is this breathing sensor so mm -hmm. a lot of um or people listening so here just it's have a, like a, a fancy microphone basically or no it's a temperature based sensor it's similar to um a sensor that's used in like wind vane like weather systems but yeah it, it mounts on the vr headset and then measures the airflow really precisely coming out of the nose or mouth i might take a picture of that but for the users on uh online listeners it looks like you've hacked a sensor into the oculus yeah. Basically, you basically you popped up an Oculus and like hacked in. I'm guessing you're going through a microphone port or um, it's actually going through a separate sensor chip through USB. Awesome. Um, but but the core of that came from like, how can you? Do you want to add more? No, that's it. I'm fascinated by it. But the core from it came like from taking the sensors background and saying, how do you get someone to really tune into their breath? Because the breath mm -hmm. is the sort of window to so many profound experiences and mm. connection to yourself. Mm. Mm. When I think it's like the way that the soul binds to the body is through the breath in, in mm. some ways. Um, That's a beautiful description. 
uh, I think of it as the common denominator between this physical realm and the realm of the subconscious and mm-hmm. soul realm. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, more of a mathematical term. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I come from an engineering background, and so it's going into like the woo-woo spiritual um, side, and I have to like find like a well, it's safe just balance. a language where it's funny because we're all talking about the same thing. Mm-hmm. It's like, what is somebody gonna understand? Like, how exactly. can I speak their language? Yeah, yeah. So, but and then there's also tons of like good clinical research on like how long, slow, rhythmic breathing um, gives basically can switch the body into a rest and relax state or out of a sympathetic response into a parasympathetic mm. response. Um, I was just at a consciousness hacking talk last night about HRV, heart rate variability, and the relation between breath and heart rate. And mm. so like, when you inhale, your body, your heart beats faster so that it can capture more of the oxygen in the air. And when you exhale, your heart rate slows down mm-hmm. so that it can maintain and retain a lot of that energy and like allow as much of it as possible to like absorb into the body. It reminds me of my yogic practices of breathing and somebody told me, oh, you want to relax? Simple. Breathe out longer than you breathe in. Mm-hmm. They're like, yeah, they're just like, really count, count in for six, yeah. count out for eight. And it's hard to do. Yeah. It's tense. Like, yeah. If I'm tense, I'm like, uh, yeah. oh, ow, 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 ow. Yeah. yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> like the, the, and then the other thing is like, you know, you're, if you're not thinking about your breath, you're still breathing. But if you are thinking about it, you can control it, right? And so it's the window yeah. into the subconscious in that way totally. because you tap into the autonomic nervous system. And it's like one of the only things that we have access to that's both subconscious and conscious. Absolutely. And so it's a natural doorway into the subconscious, which then allows for a natural connection to all the other uh, unseen and unfelt mm-hmm. shadow parts of ourselves that that you know, ultimately need to be seen and felt to really full, feel the fullest experience of human, human life. Yeah. Yep. It's yeah. amazing. And well, taking it to a, like a slightly different cognitive level, um, I, liked, I like this quote, um, Ambrose Bierce, I think I may, maybe I told it to you on the, on the phone. Um, he wrote a, a, I mean, he wrote a dictionary. Um, kind of a comedic dictionary. He said, Homo sapiens, and then he defined as, um, or he said, Homo sapiens create uh, symbols to represent reality, things in reality, Hmm. and then they forget that they created the symbols. Yeah, (laughs) we get lost in the symbols. We like look for this conceptual, conceptual defined. Yeah, I love that quote. Yeah, and uh, and so it's, it's fun to bring it back. Like, okay, well, subconscious, conscious even, like, those are symbols, words are symbols, letters yeah. are symbols. We're putting names on experiences that maybe they don't have such binary mm-hmm. definitions. Mm-hmm. Like our subconscious, what we call, which is a really pretty recent term. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm not sure where it first evolved, but probably in Freudian psychology and mm-hmm. that around that turn of the century era. Um, and I don't know the dates again, so, but, um, but yeah, it's a, it's an interesting like why we split it because mm-hmm. it maybe it's not so split and maybe it's just a maybe it's more fluid than we think. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> I think in my experience, it gets more fluid and more fluid. It's like mm. as like, feeling literally like I was constrained in this conceptual box and like locked into it, and then finally figuring out some way to like a crack opened in the wall, you know, and it's like whoa, what's down there, you know, and then mm-hmm. like. And then the realizing that, like, wait a second, I've been in this box. I've been locked inside my own head in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So it feels like a lot of like the practices dissolve away the boundaries between the conceptual box and the unconscious, subconscious, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah. But so that, and that, that ties into, like, I think you, you asked about vision. I think, like, what I'd like to see is visual experiences and biofeedback sensors that allow the user to slowly make those shifts in consciousness to realize that what you just said, that it's like, the words are not reality and the finger is not the moon. Like, um, if, yeah, and... And if if the breath can become a deeply integrated part of a technology experience in a way that can give someone a direct experience of their own body and their own system, um, then it seems to, there's the possibility there for real shift and transformation in society just by tuning someone into their own breath. And that's, that's beautiful. That's what I'd like to see come from it. And we'll see. We'll see where it goes. I think it's ultimately, I think it's pretty early to be developing a peripheral that goes with VR, because VR is in its infancy. Um, but it's going to continue to be like a, a push and sort of a testing and feeling out with the world, the environment. Like, where, yeah. is this, where does this provide enough value to like justify making it more of an upfront investment in like hardware production, mm-hmm. uh, whether that's now or years from now, we'll see. Thanks so much for joining us at ConsciousFounders.org. Stay tuned and download our RSS feed or subscribe to us on iTunes Conscious Founders. Have a wonderful day.